Thanks, Eric. Well, welcome, uh, everyone. Uh, if you're new here this morning, my name's Carl. I'm the, the pastor here. It's great to have you uh, with us. Uh, and this morning I want to, uh, I, I want to uh, unpack uh, part of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, open up your Bible to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, which is right at the start uh, of the New Testament. And when you see what that is, you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to think I'm crazy because that's the genealogy of Jesus. But I tell you what, like with Leviticus, I am excited about this genealogy of Jesus. I've been waiting for ages since I thought, ah, we'll do the genealogy. I've been waiting for ages to get round to this. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to unpack it and hopefully you'll be excited about the genealogy of Jesus as I am at the end. So Matthew chapter 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, to, uh, to Babylon, and 14 to the, from the exile to Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will, give him, uh, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son 
and he gave him the name Jesus. Has anyone here ever seen uh, the television show uh, Who Do You Think You Are? Put your hand up if you've seen Who Do You Think You Are? So not very many people. All right. But Who Do You Think You Are is a TV show uh, and I've, you know, I've only ever seen bits and pieces of it. I saw the one where, uh, where David Suchet, they were doing David Suchet. David Suchet, if you don't know, is the man who plays Hercule Poirot in Agatha Christie. And I was just shocked because in Hercule Poirot is, is this fat little man you know, who sort of waddles around and he's nothing like that in real life. Anyway, so uh, it's this show where they, they take a famous person and they look up their ancestry and they try and discover things about what's happened in, in the, the history of that person's family. Invariably, uh, there's some kind of surprise, there's something new, there's something unexpected. There might be like a, a black sheep in the family, uh, someone who's embezzled money from, from somewhere. Uh, there may have been a, a family tragedy, you know, something that, that's happened in the past which decimated uh, a, por- a portion of the family. But it's really quite fascinating. It seems to be that it's a, there's a growing fascination with understanding the history uh, of people's families. It, it's actually quite interesting that the show is called uh, Who Do You Think You Are? It's not who do you think your family is, but who do you think you are? That is, there's something about the family which kind of reflects on the person as well. The whole genealogy business uh, has really boomed over the last 10 years. Uh, there's all these internet companies now where you can go and you can, uh, you can, you can research your family history. Uh, people want to know what's in their past. Australians love it, don't they, if they discover that in their past there's a convict, you know, that someone was, uh, was sent out to Australia for doing uh, something debauched or terrible. Uh, in the same way, uh, Matthew, when he, when he wrote his biography about Jesus... He started with a biography, uh, he started with a, with a family history, I should say. He starts reminding people of where Jesus has come from. He reminds people of the family uh, which Jesus was born into and what they were like. Now, most of us probably think that this genealogy is pretty boring. Uh, it's just a list of names. It hasn't got anything on, uh, you know, who do you think you are, because then who do you think, they, who do you, think you are? They tell a story. They, they, they find out the person's name and then they tell you about what happened to them. But Matthew just gives us a list of names. But what I think we need to realise as we read this genealogy is that the, per, the people that Matthew first wrote this for would have resonated with these names. When they heard these names, they would have meant something to them. Just like when I say the name John Howard or Bill Clinton or Adolf Hitler, or Joseph Stalin, immediately a story comes into your head, a person, events. It's not just a name, it's a name which means something. In the first half of the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, most of these names appear and most of them have, uh, have stories attached to them. And so as Matthew recounts the history of Jesus' family, People reading it for the first time would have said, ah, that's right, that's what that, that's what that person did. So what we're going to do this morning, what I hope to do this morning, is to go through uh, some of the names in this genealogy and unpack the history of Jesus' family. What I want to do is fill in the gaps, I guess. 
from the Old Testament of what these people were like, what Jesus' family was like. What do you think Jesus' family was like? Well, the first person that we meet in the family tree is Abraham. Abraham was a guy who's famous in the Bible for believing God and for trusting in God, but he's by no means a perfect guy. Uh, Twice he tried to pass his wife off as his sister. He was going down to Egypt and he's worried that the king uh, would kill him off so uh, so that he could have his wife. So he just pretended that his wife is really his sister and just let the king uh, have his way with her anyway. Uh, then his son, after Abraham, there was Isaac and Isaac did the same thing. He was also afraid of the king and, and uh, passed his wife off as his sister and just gave him away uh, to this foreign king. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Now Jacob was uh, one of a pair of twins uh, and he started off life as a scoundrel. Uh, he cheated his brother out of his inheritance by dressing up uh, as his brother and deceiving his, uh, his old father. After deceiving his father and stealing the inheritance, the family had broken down so he had to run away to another land. There he married two women. Uh, the first one by mistake, the second one on purpose. Uh, he had 12 children, uh, some of them through those two wives, but when his two wives couldn't have children, he slept with their servants and had children through them. Eventually, uh, Jacob came to wrestle with God instead of with people, but not before he'd created some nightmarish family problems. Jacob's son Judah comes next. Uh, we're told that he was the father of Perez and Zerah, but we're also told that, his, that their mother was Tamar. Now, Matthew wants us to, to remember what's going on, what happened uh, in the Bible story. You see, Tamar was the wife of Judah's son, Uh, the wife of Judah's son, Ur. Uh, You can read about this in Genesis 38. And Ur died. So Tamar's husband died uh, and she didn't have any children. Uh, And she wanted kids. Uh, And to cut a long story short, eventually what happened was Judah went away on a holiday and Tamar went after her, uh, went after him. And what she did was she dressed up as a prostitute and stood by the side of the road waiting for, for Judah to come past. And she enticed him Uh, into having sex with her and he did and then Tamar gave birth to two sons, Perez and Zerah. So Judah slept with his daughter-in-law and so we get Perez and Zerah. Skipping down to verse 5, we get to uh, Salmon, uh, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now Rahab again, was uh, she was a lady who turned to God, who, who trusted God But what kind of woman was she before that? Well, she was a prostitute who was rescued from the city of Jericho before God destroyed it. So this uh, Rahab, who'd been a prostitute, was the mother of Boaz, uh, and Boaz was the uh, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now again, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to Ruth and to Boaz, and they're both pretty godly people. Uh, Boaz was exceedingly kind, and Ruth was uh, amazingly hardworking and faithful. But Ruth was a Moabite, uh, which probably doesn't mean anything to us, again, like most of these names, but uh, the Moabites had a pretty ignominious beginning. The Moabite clan started when Lot, Lot was uh, Abraham's nephew, uh, Lot uh, and his two daughters uh, one night were were just hanging around and one of his daughters got Lot drunk, uh, so drunk uh, that he didn't know what was going on and then she uh, slept with Lot Uh, So the daughter slept with her own father 
uh, and hence was born Moab, the beginning of the Moabite clan. So when the Bible says that Ruth was a Moabite, it's saying, look, this is the family line that she came from. After Obed came Jesse and then David. David was, uh, if you don't know, David was the second king over Israel and he was the first really good king uh, in Israel. Uh, He was the king after whom all the other kings are measured. So if you read through some of the Old Testament history books, like the book of Kings or Chronicles, the kings are always measured back against David. What was he like? Well, he was either like David or he wasn't like David. But even though things sort of started well for David and that he followed God most of the time, uh, things kind of went sour when he met Bathsheba. One day he was uh, looking out his window and there was Bathsheba uh, having a bath on the roof of her house Uh, he was married uh, and she was married but they committed adultery. Bathsheba got pregnant uh, and to cover things up, David bumped off Bathsheba's husband Uriah. The first baby died but the second baby that that, uh, Bathsheba bore to David was Solomon uh, who was to become king of Israel. And you see, Matthew wants us to pick up on this. He wants us to notice what's going on. Look at at what he says in verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been, not Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. He wants us all to remember that Solomon was born out of adultery. Solomon was the next king after David. Uh, He was a wise king, but he wasn't wise enough to marry only one woman. He married 700 women, the Bible tells us, and he had 300 concubines, which is a kind of a fancy word for wives who aren't really wives. A thousand women. And eventually those 1,000 women turned him away from following God. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Uh, Under Rehoboam's reign, God's people set up altars to, to, uh, to fake gods. They established male prostitutes who worked in and around the various altars and temples that they set up. After Rehoboam was Abijah, he was just as bad. After Abijah was Asa, who was like David, he was not too bad, he was pretty good and he destroyed most of those uh, idols and the prostitutes and all those things. He got rid of that. Uh, He didn't get rid of all the temples but he got rid of most of it. In verse 10 we get Manasseh. He rebuilt all that stuff that Asa destroyed. The altars, the idols... Uh, He set up in God's temple itself. He set up idols to stars in the sky. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practised witchcraft and he used mediums and spiritists. After Manasseh was Amon, Amon uh, did more or less what Manasseh did until eventually his advisers grew so sick of him that they assassinated him. After Amon, Josiah took over and Josiah was a good king. He was, after David, he was, he was the best king probably that Israel had and he rediscovered parts of the Old Testament that people uh, thought had just completely disappeared. He turned back to God himself, he repented and he turned the people of God back to God. He destroyed the idols, he destroyed the prostitutes, the altars and everything else. After Josiah came a couple of other kings and the last one which we, uh, which we meet in verse 11 uh, is Jeconiah, or Je- uh, Jeconiah uh, and he, the Bible says, did evil in God's eyes. And he was, if you like, the straw that broke the camel's back. 
He was the last evil king that God could put up with. And he said, that's it. You're all going to be invaded by a bigger nation, by Babylon. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be sent away and you're never going to have a king in that, uh, uh, until Jesus comes. This, uh, the, uh, Jeconiah, I should say, was the last king uh, up until the time of Jesus. And then, so we then move from verse 12 uh, to verse 16. That's the last group of people which spans that whole period of exile, which was a period of 600 years, during which there was no king and there was, uh, there was no uh, real possession of the land. So in these first 17 verses, I, I guess, we've got this brief sketch of the history of Jesus' family. Why does Matthew want us to know that? Why does he start off with that? Why does God want us to know this about Jesus' family? The reason is, I think, because Matthew and God want to remind us of the kind of saviour that we need. The history of the Bible is not a history of perfect people. It's a history of people marred by sin and marred, really, quite frankly, by some pretty awful things, I think you'll agree. Some of those people were just horrendous. Some of the things that they did were awful and there's worse. The history of God's people is not a pretty history. It's a mixed history. It's a history of some people who believed in God and some people who didn't, some people who trusted God and some people who didn't. But both those who trusted and those who didn't, both of them had lived lives marred by sin. And it's into that family line, it's into a family line marred by sin that Jesus was born. What kind of saviour does the world need? What kind of saviour do you and I need We need a saviour who can save us from sin. Look at verse 21, what the angel announced to Joseph. What kind of saviour would this Jesus be? Verse 21, She, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. We need a saviour who can save us from our sin, who can save us from God's judgement, God's wrath against our sin. We need a saviour who can save us from the ongoing plague of our sin, our addiction to sin. Jesus came to save sinners like you and I, born into a flawed family, born into a flawed world, a world full of people with serious issues with God, with serious morality issues, Jesus came into that situation in order to save us from ourselves. It's not uncommon, is it? Uh, I don't know if you've uh, ever said this or whether you've ever heard someone say this, uh, that they say, I won't come to church because uh, if I do, the building will fall in uh, on my head. You know, it's kind of a joke. Uh, And what they're saying is, that if they come, God will will judge them so severely because of the kind of person that they are that the building will collapse uh, on top of their heads. But the genealogy of Matthew is saying that's not true. What kind of world did Jesus come into? What kind of family did Jesus come into? He came into a family full of prostitutes, 
He came into a family where fathers sleep with their daughters. He came into a family where people set up male prostitutes to worship false gods. He came into a family and into a world devastated by sin. No, God isn't too far away from any of us. I don't know where you're at, I don't know what's in your past, I don't know what's in your life at the moment. But don't think for a minute that you can be too far away from God because of who you are or what you've done. There is no sin in your life, in the past or in the present, which can keep you from knowing Jesus Christ. The genealogy of of, uh, Matthew's Gospel reminds us that no one is too far gone to receive salvation from Jesus Christ. So Matthew wants us to know, I think first and foremost, that Jesus came into this family of sinners. But more than that, he wants us to know another thing as well. And that's that Jesus was also born at at the end of a long line of promises. There are two major promises uh, that Matthew kind of uh, alludes to here that come up in the Old Testament. The first is God's promise to Abraham. So Abraham is where the genealogy starts off. Uh, And around 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago, God promised uh, Abraham that through one single descendant of his, through one single descendant, God would bless the entire world. Uh, God would raise up for himself a people and through that one single descendant he'd raise up for himself people who would know him and love him and serve him. A thousand years after that promise to Abraham, uh, God, made an even, God made that promise more specific when he promised David, so David's kind of uh, in verse 6, he's the start of the second half of the genealogy, God promised to David that one of his sons, one of his descendants, uh, would be king. King over Israel and king over the entire world, a king over the entire universe in fact. And he would be a king who lives forever and who reigns forever. Through that one uh, descendant of David, God would defeat his enemies and the enemies of his people and God would gather for himself from every tribe and language and people and nation a multitude of people to serve him and to love him and to serve this king. So there's these two promises, the promise to Abraham, the promise to David. But as we saw after David, there was king after king and they all just failed. They were evil, they were wicked and God sent the people into exile. He destroyed the nation and he deposed their king. For 600 years there was no king over God's people and the promise looked like it had ended. Until that night in Bethlehem, at the end of a long line of promises, Jesus was born. And that's what Matthew wants us to know. He wants us to know that not only was Jesus born into this family of sinners, this world full of sinners, he was born at the end of a long line of promises that God had been making for thousands of years. Why is that important? Why would Matthew want us to know that? Why does God want you to know that? It's important to understand that Jesus is born at the end of a long line of promises because it means that Jesus didn't just turn up, right? He wasn't just some crackpot who arrived on the earth and said, you know what, I'm the saviour of the world. I'm going to save you from your sins. That's a pretty big claim to make, isn't it? 
I'm going to save you from your sins. How do you test that? How do you know that that's true? Well, Matthew shows us the way. He says, you know it's true because this Jesus was born at the end of a long line of promises. He didn't just turn up. He came to fulfil what God had promised to many people before. And, uh, and in this uh, book which Matthew has written about Jesus, this biography of Jesus, as he goes through, all the way through, he goes to a lot of trouble to show how Jesus really is the fulfilment of what God promised uh, in the Old Testament. Beginning uh, in January next year, we're actually going to work through a bit more of Matthew's Gospel and hopefully, for those who are here, uh, we'll begin to see and to, to find more and more that assurance that Jesus really is who he said he is because he fulfils these promises that God made. Why should you believe in Jesus? To save you from your sins because he was born at the end of this long line of promises. So he was born into this uh, family of sinners, he was born at the end of this long line of promises but how does that uh, any of that help us? A quick last question before we finish. What is it that's different about Jesus that would give us any hope that he could do that? You know, what's different about Jesus that means that he can save us from our sins where none of those kings could? How come Jesus can save us from our sins when David couldn't? Or when Josiah couldn't? The answer is found in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus isn't just the child of one family, as we've heard already this morning, as we've sung already this morning. He's not just the child of this family of Mary and of Joseph, a family full of sinners. He's the son of another family as well. He's the son of the almighty, holy, perfect, glorious God. Look at verse 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God, come down to live with sinful people. Jesus existed in eternity past as the Son of God the Father. John says, as, uh, as Eric read before, that he was in the beginning and through him all things were made. He has always been and he's always been God, but 2,000 years ago, He was born into this world. He took on human flesh. He was incarnate. He was born into the world as a child, eternal God and man in one person. Why? So that he could save us from our sins. Only God is powerful enough to overcome the sin in our lives. Only God is powerful enough to overcome the penalty of sin. He was fully man so that he could offer himself his human flesh as a sacrifice for our sins and he was fully God so that having submitted himself to death he could go on living, rising again from the dead. The family line of Jesus reminds us of the massive chasm that there is between us and God. How can any of us ascend to God? How can any of us make up that gap? And the answer is that we can't. John Calvin, uh, 
who was a 16th century Bible scholar, wrote this. The situation surely uh, would have been hopeless had the very majesty of God not descended to us since it was not in our power to ascend to him. See what he's saying? Saying, we couldn't get to God. The gap was too big. You know, if you stand on the highest mountain in the world, you're no closer to the sun than if you're in the deepest valley or in the bottom of the deepest ocean. How can we make it to God? We can't. The situation would have been hopeless had not the very majesty of God in Jesus Christ come down to earth. And that's what Matthew is saying. He's saying Jesus Christ, the son of Mary, born 2,000 years ago, is the saviour that we need. Son of Mary and son of God, born into a family of sinners, born into a world of sinners, but born the perfect son of God, conquered sin, died on the cross, rose from the dead. If you believe that, if you trust in that saviour, in that Jesus, then let me encourage you to keep trusting in that wonderful Jesus who saves us from our sins. If you've never cried out to God though, if you've never trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins, then let me encourage you this morning for the first time, let me encourage you to cry out to Jesus Christ. There is no sin too severe that will keep you from him. There is no sin too severe which he cannot overcome. If you've never cried out to God before, then I encourage you to pray. Pray to God. Pray now. When you go home, pray. Lock yourself in a room and keep praying. Pray to God. Deal with God. Wrestle with God until he gives you that peace which comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for reminding us through Matthew uh, of the depths of human depravity. Lord, we're evil people, uh, all of us. Lord, even uh, the very best of your people in the history of the world have been sinful people. And Lord, even the very best of us today here who trust in Jesus, who believe in Jesus, Lord, all of us are sinful people who need a saviour, who can save us from our sins. Lord, thank you that Jesus is that saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.